How are you guys doing today? Good. Need more people on that side. I... <laughs> well, I'll thank you all for being here this morning as we gather together and sing to our king. Oh, gee. <laughs> Escapa, escaping. What'd you do, Toby? What'd you... <laughs> Nothing? Uh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that reminds me of one time in church uh, at Fairmount, me and my brother-in-law were the only two on one side of the whole church. It was quite hilarious, but we took showers that day, so I don't know what was wrong. <laughs> but... But thank you for being here today as we gather to, to sing to our King, to our Savior. And we celebrate a Messiah that has come, a Messiah that has come to, that has dealt the death blow to sin and death. I very much appreciate what Toby said. You know, there's victory. The war has been won. You know, there's, there's definitely battles to be fought, right? You know, Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight. You know, he says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. I've fought the good fight. You know, I think uh, today's battle more than ever is about freedom. Have you ever wondered what it means to be free? Maybe just a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got some head nods. Um, but it's, in our day, freedom is a choice. A choice to buy from Walmart or Target or Amazon. Freedom to eat McDonald's or Burger King. Freedom to drink coffee, to drink good coffee, great coffee, or no coffee at all. Well, freedom is actually defined as this, the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. In our day, that leads to what I call hyper-independence of the individual. I don't think I've heard that term anywhere else. Well, maybe Oz Guinness. Um, but we can build ourselves, right? You know, we can get what we want, and why not? Click of a button, right? And it can be sent to our doorstop. We are free because freedom has let us have all of these choices. But then what is, what is liberty? And when you come into that conversation, you know, I recently heard that liberty is doing what is right. Lord Action, a really cool, awesome name. Lord Action says this, liberty is not the power, uh, liberty is not the power of doing what we like, but the right of being able to do what we ought. Liberty enables us to do our duty unhindered by the state, society, or by ignorance and error. That's a quote that I came across that I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of mind-blowing. Because I, I think even as you look up a definition of liberty nowadays, uh, if you go to Google, you wouldn't find that. You would actually find... That liberty and freedom are the same thing nowadays. It's that same table leg. It's about our power of doing what one pleases. But freedom, which is defined as independence from a state or a society, from ignorance or error, is one thing. But doing what is right is another. And that's where liberty comes in. You know, and there is only one way to know what is right. And I'll give credit to you know, this introduction to all of Oz Guinness's book, The Magna Carta for Humanity. It's his newest one. It's a quite awesome read, but I do suggest that. But the only way to know what is right is the revelation of God. The moral law, and then that gives us civic law. We come from that to see that God sees our burdens. Even in a world that 
where we you know, can build ourselves and do what we want, we see that sin is here. We see that death comes for all. So the Lord tells us our problem at Sinai, right? You know, the tablets, the civic law, all of those things tell us there's clearly a problem. And then he deals with our problem at Calvary. Today we see that he has sent his son so that we will be free. Free indeed, right? You can just, you can cheat and look at the front of your bulletins. It's like, woo, <laughs> we got one. Free from the lies that hold us. Because our truest redemption comes in the great I am who has died in our place. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that we can come and, and sing to you. We can know how precious is the blood of Jesus. That we would be washed, that we would be cleansed, that we would be sanctified by your blood and awaiting and looking forward to glorification and knowing that even in the daily struggles that you are with us, that you are our Savior, our ever-present hope in all trouble and in all struggle. And we thank you for today, this, this beautiful day that you have given us to, to worship you, to know you more. Pray with a, Pray that as we're in your word, you would strengthen and encourage us and mold us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. But John chapter 8 has just been an amazing study. I've really enjoyed this chapter, but we will uh, continue uh, where we left off. We will read verses 38, uh, th uh, sorry, 31 through 38. The text says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin practices sin is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever the son remains forever so if the son sets you free you'll be free indeed i know that you are the offspring of abraham yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you i speak of what i have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, last week we had seen that Jesus had claimed to be the light of the world. He was speaking and acting with all authority from the father. He told the Pharisees that you will in fact see this when I am lifted up. Well, and then we see that a group of people had believed upon Jesus. Well, here Jesus turns to those that had believed upon him and said, If you stay in my word, if you stay there, you are followers of me. You are learners of me because you're abiding in what he has said. As if, if we're gathering from other sources, if we're gathering other words, you know, those things will inform and influence us. We don't abide in other sources and other tributaries, other river sources, but we abide in the word of Jesus. You know, but in our world of multiculturalism, which the presence and even the support of any worldview and so many worldviews, we see that, you know, how, how do we deal with that? You know, the, the world says, look, Find your own truth. Make your own journey, which is very much the postmodern mood of our day and our mindset of today. But Jesus says this truth. And my learners will know the truth. Capital T, truth. And then it will set you free. 
And that is an amazing claim of the Lord. That by following Jesus, by learning from Jesus, by hearing his words, we find the truth. And we are free there. And the Jews answered him, saying this, We come from Abraham and have never been slaves. So why, we, why do we need to be free? And those, those people around Jesus are thinking, well, well wait a minute, I'm, I'm not a slave. I'm free. So why, why would I need freedom? You know, it, it's kind of interesting because if you look at this historically, it's kind of it's weird, right? Because at this time, the history of Israel, they're under a, not a very generous <laughs> occupation. You know, the, the Roman uh, pagan empire subdued the world at this time. And yet when, when Jesus brings up freedom, this idea of, of having truth, of being set free, they, they immediately turn to a spiritual format. They are in fact children of Abraham, that they are as good as gold, right, to enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus comes and tells them that they need to be free. So they ask and he answers and he says this, if anyone who practices sin Anyone who practices sin is a slave to it. You know, this is humanity's whole problem. Sin is the root of all problems that we see and hear about and feel. Jesus says this, a slave does not stay in a house, but a son does. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You know, Jesus paints this picture of a household. You know, there are there are slaves, but they're not the heir of that household. No, only the son is. So if the son sets the captives free, they are free forever. Jesus says he knows that, yes, they are in fact offspring of Abraham, but he also knows the hearts of mankind, right? We've seen that, you know, throughout John. From John 2, 25, he, he sets them apart, does not entrust himself to man, and throughout John, we see that reprise over and over again. You know, he knew that they, as I, as I would identify here, they, the, the Jews, the leaders, were actually seeking to kill him, right? Throughout all of John, that becomes the primary goal, that they are against him. Because his words find no place in them. They will not accept the words or the claims of Jesus, the Messiah, so Jesus tells him this. He speaks of what he hears from the Father, God the Father in heaven, but they do what they have heard from their Father. You know, this passage made me think about what we have to guide us in this life. Now, every time I'm in the springs, unless I'm on powers, I, I can navigate powers pretty well now. Woo! Uh, but anywhere else, I'm usually like, yeah, that GPS needs to be on because I'm, I'm going to get lost. Well, even with the GPS on, you get to those little turnabouts. Okay, Google, which turnabout is that? And that happens, and it's frustrating, right? Who likes turnabouts? Nobody. Well, <laughs> get rid of the French influences. <laughs> you go to Washington, D.C. and uh, Lafayette, because, yeah, it's named after Lafayette Park, uh, across from the White House is actually named after the French guy that, that designed Washington, D.C. And there's a lot of turnabouts in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of turnabouts in Paris, too. So you can't, you know. They got all the, the revolters stuck, apparently. That was the idea. So they wouldn't know where to go. So I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that theory before. <laughs> and we have a lot of guides here and now, but we also have a lot of guides that seem to want to get us lost. They, they want to lead us the wrong way. But thankfully, we have a clear guide from the Lord, spoken and breathed out the Word of God. Now, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 119. 119. Uh, Psalm 119, and it will be in verse uh, 105 to 112. 
But the psalmist says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold in my life, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts, your testimonies. Excuse me. <clears throat> your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now, the writer declares, Your word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The author keeps the righteous rules. Even when afflicted, the author knows that life alone comes from God. The author asks the Lord to, to teach him the rules, for there are snares everywhere. So the author stays and does not stray from the precepts of the Lord. The Lord's testimonies will be spoken of for all generations. You know, the psalmist's heart is is joyful in the middle of the righteous rules of the Lord. So the writer, in fact, actually inclines his heart to them, to keep them. And right here, we find a clear path. Guidance. Not in some self-help book or in some hyper-independence of individuals. Now right here in the word of the Lord, in his revelation, and his moral law, by keeping them, being taught them, not forgetting them, not straying from them, finding joy in them, and inclining our own hearts to perform them, we find purpose and joy. As we go through life, we need purpose. We need to pursue something. Now, please turn your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes this to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. Now this Bible, this set-apart book, all of scripture is breathed out by the Lord. It is his spoken word, the revelation of God, God making himself known. Something that we could never know, right? Something that we could never come to grasp. That is why his, his word is profitable for all. For anyone can take it up and, and learn and gain insights from it because it teaches us about God, about man, about sin, and about redemption. It is good for reproof because we can know this. We can know what the scripture says and have discernment that we would not be caught up in lies. And that when that does happen, it's right there for correction. That the word, by, that by the word we would see our wrong and repent and turn and then the word is for training in righteousness. It brings us to a state of holiness. Not self-help, but, but holiness and zeal and cutting through all of the muck. So that we would be complete. Ready for every good work. And did you notice the, the end game there? It's not knowing it all. It's not having all the answers or checking it off just to feel better. But it's about being equipped to serve. 
that we would be formed and framed by the Almighty to know the purposes and pursuit of our King and to be on mission with him as he commissions us in Acts 1.8. That, that purpose and pursuit is to set humanity free from sin and death. Well, please turn back in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. We'll go on reading uh, verses 39 through 47. John records this. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your, the works your father did. And they said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Bless you. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth... Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God, the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And those that are speaking to Jesus say, you know, Abraham is my father, their father. And they're right. You know, they are physical children of Abraham. But Jesus tells them this. Then why aren't they doing what he did? Saying, in fact, you know, if you are true children of Abraham, why aren't you trusting God? But they are instead seeking to, to kill Jesus. Kill the man that tells them the truth that, they, that he has heard from God. You know, this is not according to what Abraham did. No, he heard from God and obeyed from leaving his home to giving his own child. But then being stopped. So they are walking a different path. Now, Jesus says, you are in fact doing the will of your father. Those talking with Jesus tell him, no, we are legitimate children. We are children of God. He is our father. Well, Jesus answers them back and says, then why don't you accept me? If God was your father, you would, for I am from God. He sent me here. Now, understanding is not there, and they cannot bear the words of Jesus, for their father is the devil, and their will is to do his, his desire to murder. Now, Jesus says that the murderer, that, that Satan, that the devil has been a murderer from the beginning, and the truth is not there, for the truth is not in him, his whole character is one of lies, and he is actually the father of lies. Now that is why they don't accept him or his word, for they don't accept the truth. They don't believe as they hear the word of God. They don't truly hear it, for they are not of God. Now this, this passage opens up so much that we can look at and talk at and take for a while to wrap our minds around because it shows us that divide that we have been seeing in John. And we see that it is, it is clearly there, a divide between those that are on the side of truth and those on the side of lies. Uh, Jesus says this later in John. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world 
to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Well, Jesus came to bear witness to the truth and everyone of that truth will listen to his voice because as he says in John 14, 6, Jesus is the truth. And we see that he is from above as he is claimed back in John 8, that he is from heaven and that by revelation we receive truth and that the Son is true, and that the Lord is the one, the true one, who has sent his Son to bear witness to what is true. And then we see that the adversary, the devil, comes into the picture, the father of lies. Now Jesus had pointedly told the Pharisees in John 8, 23, you are from below. Their thoughts, even their worldly thoughts, were not of God, not of the truth of God. Here Jesus tells those that he is talking to that their father is of the devil, or is the devil, because that is the path they are walking on, because they are seeking to murder Jesus. They are following the devil and what he has been about since the beginning. And we see you know, truth in these lines right here that, that lies and murder are tools of the adversary. Uh, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11, uh, Paul states this to the church of Corinth. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it so severely to all of you. For if for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he might be overwhelmed by the excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth here about a sinner that has repented. And Paul is telling the church to forgive, to not, to not overwhelm the sinner, but to reaffirm and to seek obedience in all things, that the church would not be outwitted by the adversary, but reaffirm the repentful sinner. Because to, to not do that would actually uh, destroy them. I think any, any form of church discipline needs to be about redemption, re, restoring and redeeming the sinner. And we must be aware of the devil's designs, not ignorant of them, so to fight against them and not to be as a church, as a body, as, as believers, not to be derailed, deformed, or destroyed. And then uh, Peter talks about this in chapter 5, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to turn with me over there. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, uh, he states this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now Peter calls the believer to humble themselves before God so that in his timing he might exalt them. That the believer would cast off all of their worries and cares upon him because God cares for them. Now Peter tells the believer to be alert, to watch out for the adversary creeps around like a predator ready to eat. So the believer is called to resist the devil, to be firm in one's faith, pointing back to being humble. That we would have knowledge here of shared struggle, that the church shares this. That we would also know for a little time there is struggle and suffering. But by the God of all grace, he comes. You know, those in Christ will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. But this is Christ, our King, who will rule forever and reign forever. Forever, right? <laughs> say, it, say it as many times because he is the forever King. Now, he is the one that has come to seek and save the lost. He is the, the true one. You know, as the devil and the world and the flesh rage against him, he offers true freedom. Well, please turn back in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. And we will read one more section. And verses 48 through 59. And John records this. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not speak of my own glory, that I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and did the, and as did the prophets. And yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets, and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You are not, fit. You are not yet fifty years old, and you... Have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, through this passage of scripture, Jesus is most definitely speaking uh, to people who believed upon him. But yet, I, you know, it, see that there are very much people that are against him. You know, throughout most of the Gospel of John, we hear the Jews, and we hear that phrase. Most of the time, that means the leadership of Israel, those in religious matters, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the lawyers of the law. And as we have seen through John already, is that they are against him at every turn. They are harassing him. I would say that there are two groups here in John chapter 8. Those that have believed upon Jesus, who he turned to speak to. And there are those that are against him present in this passage. Because we see that the, the they, throughout all of John 8, this last part, are very antagonistic. Uh, just as the leaders are in every other passage uh, we see. You know, the Jews told Jesus this, we knew it. 
you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. This was apparently something that they were, you know, talking about, thinking about that, you know, for one, Jesus was an outsider. He was not a Jew. And two, he was possessed from a being from hell itself because he was misleading the people. Now Jesus answers them saying this, I do not have a demon because I honor the Lord, my father, yet you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is only one who rightly seeks it, and that is God. And he is the judge of all. Now Jesus tells them, if anyone abides, if anyone keeps his word, they will not see death. You know, at this point, I feel like they, they scream this out. You know, it's, it's now for sure you have a demon. They were for sure of it because the patriarchs and the prophets had died. And Jesus stood claiming that if people stood there claiming that if people had kept his words, they would not taste death. You know, they understood exactly what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be greater than the patriarchs and the prophets, all who had died. Now, in fact, they ask him, what do you make yourself out to be? What are you claiming? Well, Jesus tells them this, I'm not glorifying myself. It is, in fact, the Father who glorifies me the one who you say is your God. Now he says this, that the Jews did not know God, not like Jesus does. If Jesus claimed not to know God intimately, personally, he would be lying. But Jesus knows God and keeps his word. The one they claimed to be their father, Abraham, be overjoyed and was overjoyed to see the Messiah. He looked forward to it. Well, this you know, brought another question from the Jews. You are not that old, yet you state you have seen Abraham. Well, Jesus tells them this before Abraham was, I am. No most crystal clear claim, Jesus speaks the words, I am. The Jews totally understood what he claimed. And so they picked up stones to kill him. But Jesus hid himself and left the temple. Now the passage clearly shows who, who Jesus claims to be. The Jews had no doubt of what he claimed. They just disagreed. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 24. In Leviticus 24, we, we read this in verses 15 and 16. The Lord says to Moses, And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall, shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. Well, the Jews, the leaders of Israel, understood exactly what Jesus was doing. In, in their mindset, he was blaspheming. You know, they had disagreed with his claims. They had not accepted his word. They stood against him in every turn because he, in their opinion, was misleading the crowds. So what they heard in their mindsets was against God. So they went to fulfill the law. They picked up stones to kill him. The Jews understood that Jesus claimed to be God. Now go ahead and flip over to Exodus chapter 3 with me. But Exodus chapter 3, verses... 13 through 15, uh, we see here what the Lord says to Moses as well. Uh, his call before the burning bush. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our, your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, 
say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And when Moses asked God for his name, the name of the Lord, the God of the fathers of Israel said, I am who I am. You know, he is the I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is eternal and everlasting. Always oh, there. This is his name. You know, I feel like the, the I am statements... Their, their meaning has been mostly lost in time and culture, but in the first century, in the Jewish nation, it was and is a claim of being God. You know, this is why the Jews went to stone him, because he claimed oneness with the Almighty, something that is blasphemous in, blasphemous? Yeah, blasphemous in the mind of a Jew, because God is only one. According to Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. But then we see the Trinity throughout Scripture. Throughout the Old and New Testament, the, the Trinity is, is very much there. It is just merely missed. Just as Jay read this morning from Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, Let us make man in our own image. Uh, from Daniel 7, we see that there is one who is to come before God, presented, blameless and perfect, and he is given a kingdom that will last forever, never be destroyed, and be eternal. See, it was just merely missed. But the Trinity is seen throughout Scripture that God is one, one in nature, and three in person. That's how he speaks and that how that is how he is seen because that is how he has revealed himself and that is his nature and his person god the father god the son and god the holy spirit three in one grand unity in mission and purpose seeking glory and coming here that we would believe and be redeemed as we look out to the world, and we see a lot of movements, a lot of religions, a lot of isms, a lot of worldviews, all trying to guide and direct, right? All trying to win converts, all trying to work their way to something. Yeah, I ran into another quote, uh, courteous of Os Guinness, uh, yet again, that says this. I, I won't try and say Johann Wolfgang's second part of his name, <laughs> Goheth, Go Go yeah, I'll, I'll try it, why not? But he says this, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. And we live in a day where we can be what we want to be. You know, from gender to sex to education to beliefs, they're all up for grabs. And we are free, right? So we can choose. You know, but I, as, I, as I thought about this, I looked at my life before Christ and I said, yeah, I was maybe free, free to choose what sin I would enjoy. And I was yet a good little sinner. I did not too much damage, depending on what parent you ask. But still in need of someone to set me free. You know, there was the need of, of freedom, of, of liberty, of doing what one ought to do. You know, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now there is the need for Christ to personally be in each one of our lives. Or we will be enslaved by something. Because sin is humanity's problem. It is the primary problem that makes all other things happen you know even if we think our sin or our hang up is too little not 
much of a big problem because we got it under wraps. We can manage it. And we will meet our maker one day and understand that it is something that will keep us from dwelling with him. You know, there is nowhere else to go. You know, and that, that is heaven or hell for eternity. And that's it. Life or death. Those are the choices. Now please turn in your Bibles with me one more time to 1 John First John chapter 3, this uh, stood out to me while I was researching the devil. <laughs> it's a, you know, a tedious subject, but it's a needed subject. First John chapter 3, uh, we'll read verses 10 through 15. John says this, By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that, when we, have, that, we, know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers whoever does not abide who does sorry whoever does not whoever does not love abides in death everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him as we walk with Christ our king it is evident for those that are children of god will will practice righteousness and those that are not from God don't and John points to the to the clear case you know that even Jesus says later in John you know that the world would know that you are of me because of your love for one another loving one's brother is that that guidepost you know do they or don't they you know the message we hear from time and time again from Jesus from the you know, letters of the New Testament is to love one another. So do we? For we are not to be like Cain who murdered his own brother, who saw, you know, the, the evilness of his deeds and didn't repent and change, but envied his brother's righteous actions. And we are to love one another. And then John goes on, and we are to expect the world to hate us. For we have passed from death into life by Christ. John then goes on in verses 16 and 18, 16 through 18, saying this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not seek, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In the modern proverb, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? John points out, you know, what is practice? What is acted out? Do we humbly, as servants of the Almighty, lay down our lives? Do we see those in need and help? Do we love and just word and talk? Or do we love with word, with deed and truth? I, I like how that is put together, right? Action with truth. I think so much of the church tries and separates those, but we cannot. And coming to the end, we... We see that only in Christ is someone is freedom found. You know, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, free from sin and death. Now we see that there are lies telling us many things 
telling us that you know, we can do it. We can save ourselves. We can be our own self-made person. We can have our own truth. But the truth is, is without the great I am, we are lost in darkness without light, unable to practice anything but what is on that path, sin and death. You know, the light, the truth, the freedom, the purpose, the, the liberty of what we ought to do, what John calls us to in 1 John 3, is to be about the purpose of the Lord above. You know, Colossians says it, you know, set your minds on things above. That we are able to do what we ought to do, to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, humbly walking through this life content in whatever comes our way. Well, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we have a firm foundation in Christ our Lord, that as we trust in him, as we rest upon his saving work, upon the cross that his blood poured out, that his body was broken, that we can rejoice and believe that the victory is won, but the battles do go on, that there is a good fight to be fought Lord, as we're, as we're called forward, even here in John, to, to practice even the, the most basic evidence of fruit, to love one another, to see that you laid down your life for all of humanity, that we would be about the same mindset. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for everyone here. Lord, I just pray that everyone would be blessed and encouraged and equipped to go forward, to be about deed and truth. I know, Father, we thank you for your precious Son, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.